Are Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extension? His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He wasn't paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns, a new reality is the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, quality people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is the Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, you hopefully remember him from the mock trade deadline where he represented the Toronto Raptors, so graciously came on the pod to discuss it previously. We obviously are going to be talking about the Raptors today, and, you know, maybe we have some more trades up our sleeves for this team, because we really don't know what direction they're going to go. His name is Ez Barahene. He is an NBA reporter for SDPN Sports. And Ez, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, appreciate you. I know this was, uh, it was, it was tough to nail down a date for us to do this, so I appreciate you working with me to, to get this done, man. Absolutely, and I appreciate you taking the time to be a multi-time guest on the pod at this point. Of course. So, as you guys know, I've been doing off-season review slash season previews kind of combined in one. As I already introduced, we're going to be doing the Toronto Raptors today. So let's start with the off-season kind of gets started with Nick Nurse. And the Raptors, I believe it was the language was mutually parting ways. I don't believe he was, or was he fired? I think the yeah, wording might have been that he was dismissed. Was, he was dismissed, yeah. So so there was reports that came out that they would be eventually mutually, mutually parting ways, but instead it was, uh, yeah, it was dismissed. It was let go. Okay. So weird, I feel like. I feel like in situations like this, it was usually a mutually part, part ways. Nick Nurse is obviously now the coach for my Philadelphia 76ers. So that's one great spot for the Sixers, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> the Raptors end up hiring Darko Vajakovic, who is, is he the Spain national team coach, I believe? He was with the Grizzlies as an assistant. He's, he's Yeah, he, he, was, he was an assistant for the Grizzlies uh, for a long time. He's had experience with the Thunder, uh, I believe another NBA team as well, I, I think it's the Rockets or another team. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he had a lot of experience internationally, both in Spain and Serbia. Uh, he wasn't a head coach, but yeah, he, he's had a lot of international experience. Okay. And the thing I found most interesting about this hiring, I mean, you never really know how an assistant's going to perform as a head coach, as a first-time head coach, really. But the Grizzlies, I feel like have really made, and the Raptors, I guess both, have made a niche of like, making player development such a key aspect of the organization. Yeah. So that's what I'm most excited for, to see what Darko brings to the Raptors from that aspect. Another underrated aspect, I think, is the fact that Adrian Griffin is now obviously the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's been with the Raptors organization for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic now that they're all of a sudden discussing his son in trade talks, which we'll get to, that he's no longer there, ironically enough. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. That is funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, do you want to get into the trade talks right now, or are we going to talk about Adrian Griffin? Let's talk about Adrian Griffin, because I have some trade proposals that we'll go through towards the end of the pod. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, Adrian Griffin, he obviously was considered for the Raptors role as well. Uh, but I think based on just the bad vibes of last season, some of the bad juju around the team, uh, you know, the coaches not seeing eye to eye with the players, some of the players not seeing eye to eye with other players. Uh, it just made most sense to kind of create a clean slate, wipe everything new and start over. And that's why you only have one returning member from the Raptors coaching staff coming back onto Darko Ryakovich's staff. Uh, it's a completely new staff. There are some returning faces. Jama, Jama Malalea, he, a longtime Raptors assistant coach as well. He's returning. Um, but the only other player, sorry, the only other coach that's returning is Jim Son, who is a, a longtime development coach for for the Raptors. He's been there for quite some time. So, yeah, new slate for the for the Raptors coaching staff, and I think that kind of makes sense, especially with you know I'm sure we'll discuss it the, the direction they're headed. You mentioned development. That's probably at the forefront of their minds moving forward. So yeah, let let's talk about the direction going forward because there was a ton of speculation at last year's deadline of okay, Toronto and Chicago, these are the two teams that are going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Then Toronto goes out, trades the top six protected 2024 first for Yaka to the Spurs. Obviously, mm-hmm. they end up resigning Poto, we'll get there. Yeah. But that doesn't seem like a team that has rebuilding or retooling, rather, in their sights at all, given it's this year's first-round pick. They then, I don't, I don't want to say mixed yes. signals, because they left Fred Van V walk, essentially. Um, they probably could have matched. I'm not saying I blame them for not matching a four-year max, because... I think they got, what, two years guaranteed and the third year of a max is non-guaranteed, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, that's right. So Toronto had an opportunity. I'm sure if they offered three or four years guaranteed max, he would have stayed. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think that that's sort of um, the Fred Van Bleet situation has forced their hand to where they're at right now. I think before Fred Van Bleet left, the goal was to run this team back, to bring Fred Van Bleet back, to bring... Gary Trent Jr. and to bring Yaka Pertle back and just see what you have next season, fully healthy, maybe for the entire year, could change the makeup of this team. They did, they did, a, eventually they played a little bit better in the second half of the year when Yaka Pertle was brought in. They focused more on the pick and roll. Fred Van Bleet was working really well with them, et cetera, et cetera. I think the goal was for this team to just run it back in 2024, especially with what you mentioned, giving up that, that first round pick. But, Fred VanVleet walking away completely changed things. And it has now forced their hand to the point where they have to pick a direction with Pascal Siakam being a free agent next summer, with OG Ananobi being a free agent next summer. Gary Trent Jr.'s extension is still up in the air. So now they're entering another season where they have the same issues that they had last year where they don't have a committed roster moving forward long-term. And that's, yeah, that's a big question in terms of what direction they're going to be taking. And a lot of that stems from the Fred Van Vliet decision. Uh, quite simply, they just thought the market for Fred was not going to be as, you know, eventful as it was, but it was very eventful. And teams were clearly very interested in Fred's abilities and they overread their hand. They overplayed their hand. I think the biggest issue is that Houston opted for Van Vliet over James Harden. If that didn't happen, Fred probably would still be a Raptor right now if yeah. Houston opted for James Harden, I feel like. I mean, I know people speculated maybe Orlando was a dark horse for Fred Van Vliet, but 
It really came down to Houston and Toronto, it seemed like. Yeah. They then replaced Van Vliet with Dennis Schroeder on a two-year, $25 million deal using the mid-level exception. They use a biannual exception on Jalen McDaniels, which hard caps them, which they're not even taxing. That really shouldn't be an issue at all. Resigned Jacopo, who obviously they gave up a first round pick for at the trade deadline. And the first move of all of them that we didn't even mention was Gary Trent Jr. opting into his player option for, I believe, $19, million, $18.5 million, which caught some people by surprise that he didn't really test free agency. Yeah, I think he struggled last season um, and he wasn't the same score slash shooter and he wasn't really there defensively either. So it was, I, w- I wouldn't say it was a step back, but it was pretty much a stagnant year for him when, you know, a guy who's 23, 24 years old, you expect him to take some sort of leap. So when he tested out the market in free agency, there just wasn't the type of market for him to get a raise. And I'm assuming by opting in, he's hoping that they can, you know, he can either have a bounce back season or they can work on an extension in Toronto. Still TBD on that because, you know, like much, like a lot of things Raptors related, it is TBD. Um, but yeah, that that's where Gary was. He struggled last season, so it kind of made sense that he was going to opt in. If you asked me at the start of last year, I would have been shocked if Gary opted in. But as the season progressed, it just became more and more clear that there wasn't going to be an abundant market for him. Yeah, and he is one of a whole slew guess not a whole, so I, I guess I would say three key players that are on expiring deals now. I mean, yeah. we could kind of compare Toronto and Chicago a little bit, because not only were they the two teams really expected to, you know, maybe trade a star, all-star caliber player at the deadline and chose not to last year, but Chicago had the same issue Toronto has this year in terms of they didn't have their own first-round pick from the Nikola Vucevic trade. Right. So now Toronto's kind of in this precarious situation where, sure, maybe they lose a first-round pick this year, but going forward, they'll be they have all their other picks. Mm-hmm. Siakam, Gary Trent Jr. both expiring. OG and Obi has a twenty million dollar player option, which I imagine he opts out of. One hundred percent. Yeah, unless he you know has some type of major. He's obviously hasn't been a uh, built the most durable guy. Knock on wood, unless there's a major injury. I think that's the only way he really opts in. I th- I'm going to be honest with you. I think even if he has a season-ending injury, he's going to opt out of that. It's yeah, just $20 yeah. million. Is, he's, he's just going to make more than that regardless uh, in the summer. So there's just no way he's going to he's gonna extend for that. Yeah, right. and you're probably right. And again, extension wouldn't even be worth it for him because yeah. he could only get – what's the new CBA? 140%? 140%. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So 140% of that, yeah, he's not going to sign that. So, okay. So with Siakam – Ananobi, Gary Trent, all lingering. Mm-hmm. I have some trades for all three of them that we could get into. Okay. So Raptors, as it stands, with $3.3 million under the tax. And as I said, they're hard caps, so they can't go over um, the apron. So let's see here. The first thing I want to mention is that I don't know if this is just a Twitter thing or maybe this is a Raptors fan thing. I don't know where it stems from, but I feel like every time there's a star on the market and everyone's saying, okay, who's like the mystery team? Everyone always says, oh, it's Toronto. Mm Do you know why that is? Because they're, at least in the past, they've been willing to take risks 
on things. Like it's the uh, Masayu Jerry factor, isn't it? It has to it be. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's the Masayu Jerry factor. I mean, you you obviously have the Kawhi scenario. That's the most famous. But mm-hmm. uh, the Raptors, before trading for Kawhi, were very, very close for trading for Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the draft. They were going to trade DeMar DeRozan and acquire Shea SGA at the draft. Um, after that, you can bring up the KD situation that happened last summer and Toronto being in the mix for that as well. I think Barnes and then potentially moving off of him to get to KD. And now the Damian Lillard situation is maybe, you know, he's they're a mystery team for him as well. I still think Damon ends up in Miami. If my gut, if I had to go with like a gut reaction, I still think he ends up in Miami. But ultimately, yeah, they're a team that isn't afraid to take these big swings. Um, although more recently, it seems like they have been very afraid to take big swings with their own players uh, because I think, and, and like, don't quote me on, I mean, I guess you can quote me on this. We're doing a podcast, but um, I think the Raptors front office has become somewhat sentimental towards the players that they have. Uh, You know, they developed Fred Van Vliet. They, you know, undrafted guy. They found him. Same thing with Pascal Siakam, 27th overall pick turned into the G League guy, turned into, you know, all-star and MVP and all that, you know. And I think the same applies to OG, same applies to some of the other guys on the roster, Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, et cetera, et cetera. I think they're a little sentimental when it comes to these guys. So when it comes to, and this applies to every team, you find value in your own players more than other teams find value in your players, right? They're trying to mitigate and downplay what the actual value is of your player so that they can, you know, kind of get them bang for your buck, if you will. And I think from the Raptors' perspective, even looking back at last trade trade deadline where, where they tried to move Fred VanVleet, there wasn't really a lot out there uh, for them to to get for a guy like Fred VanVleet. So then they decided, hey, we're just going to see what happens in the summer. I don't think you can make that same mistake. I don't think you can be as sentimental with a guy like Siakam, who is your franchise player right now, and with a guy like OG, who was a young 3 and D guy that – Pretty much all 29 teams would like. These are the type of players that you can't be sentimental around. You have to be smart. You have to either lock them down and extend them long term, or you have to look to move them before it becomes impossible for you to move them. And in both situations, it's becoming a lot harder to get equal or close to equal value for either Siakam or OG because they're expirings, because in Siakam's case, he's reportedly said that he's unwilling to resign elsewhere. All of these factors has, have made it so that the Raptors don't necessarily have tons of leverage entering these trade negotiations for any of these guys. Uh, and it, it's put them in, in quite the precarious situation. And it's always, as you kind of alluded to, it's always more difficult to trade for a guy who's on an expiring deal as yeah. opposed to when he has even two years. I mean, it's a huge difference. So I feel like if the Raptors did trade at least maybe OG at the deadline last year, given he had a year and a half left, he, I mean, wasn't the report the Grizzlies off of like three first round picks, something absurd for him? Yeah, so it was Dylan Brooks plus three first round picks um, and whatever salary matching. That That's the official trade that was out there. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this isn't anything new, but yeah, it was Dylan Brooks plus three first round picks. One of those picks was the Warriors pick that they traded in, in order to get Marcus Smart. Uh, and then a couple of other ones as well. So yeah, yeah, that was the that was the deal for OG. And again, to my point, I can't imagine OG. Got, OG's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong. He's and wings are the hottest commodity in the NBA. 
But given he's an expiring deal, unless you have reassurance that he is either going to extend, which he already said he won't, or resign, I can't picture a team giving up three first-round picks for him. Yeah. I think the only scenario where I could confidently see OG getting extended um, and being willing to extend in the summer is if Pascal Siakam the reason OG has wanted to potentially move or seek pastures, greener pastures, if you will, it's because of the fact that he wants a bigger role. He wants to experiment a little bit more. He wants to try out certain things. He wants added usage, extra usage. And with Pascal in the fold, it's a little bit impossible for him to do that because he's at best third in the pecking order. But if you, let's say you move Pascal and now you're building around Scotty and OG and others, it makes it it makes it a lot more sense for him to extend with the Raptors because now he's in a position where he can grow his game with this team. And I think he likes Toronto. I think he wants to stay here. It's just a matter of role and responsibility. And you can kind of kill two birds with one stone if you move Siakam. So let's get into some Siakam trades then. Sure. So first one I brought up is the Atlanta Hawks because that's been the one that's been on the forefront of most NBA fans' minds because of the rumors of the reported offer yeah. that Elena has made. It includes DeAndre Hunter. It includes, obviously, Adrian Griffin's son, AJ Griffin. And I believe Elena could trade two first right now, or first in a swap. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's two first. I believe it was yeah, they, Mike... So, so... Go ahead. No, they have the Sacramento 2024 pick that they Exa- Okay, and then... And then they have another pick later on. I can't remember if it's 2027 or 2028. Yeah, one of those. Okay, so it was two first-round picks. And I believe it was Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype who basically wrote an article saying, oh, Atlanta won't put Kobe Bufkin on the table. And again, I don't want to misquote him or aggregate what he's saying incorrectly, but it seems like Kobe Bufkin might be the deal-breaker in that deal. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've talked about this before. Uh, I don't know. This is uh, it's not necessarily sore that the Raptors had promised Kobe Bufkin at the 13th overall pick, but things changed when Grady Dick became available because they did not expect Grady Dick to be available at number 13. They instead decided to draft Grady Dick, which I'm not going to go into the who you should have picked yet. These guys haven't even played a single game in their careers yet. I'm not here to do that, but. That's how high the Raptors were on Kobe Bufkin. And that's why they're obviously looking to acquire him in any trade. It's because, yeah, that's the type of guy you're looking for. And, you know, from a value perspective, if you're looking at Siakam, who is their franchise player, who is a two-time All-NBA guy, um, trading a guy like that, yeah, you want a couple picks, you want a couple prospects, and you want salary filler to match. Like, I think, I don't think their ask is anything too crazy. And while... I can understand it from Atlanta's perspective, seeing, okay, well, hey, we're giving up two first, up two prospects, and DeAndre Hunter is not necessarily nothing. Um, it, it, I can see it from their perspective, but also, if you're Atlanta, you're in a position with Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, et cetera, et cetera, where there is a little bit of pressure for you to build a contender now, now around him. Um, and I think Siakam helps you at least in the short term to get to that point. And it's worth it for them to move off of Bufkin, to move off of AJ Griffin and those two picks because you're building for now. Um, I, 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 I don't understand it from Atlanta's perspective for, to not include Bufkin, 
And I think I understand it from the Raptors' perspective of not wanting to settle for, for anything worse. But to be fair, like we mentioned a little bit ago, it's not like the Raptors are operating from a position of leverage. Um, and that's, 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 it's, it's curious because that's the only way the Raptors can potentially get some leverage is if he signs an extension now, and now he has, instead of one year left on his deal, he has five years or three years or whatever. Does that make more sense to move him? And is there more value in moving him after that? I would say, yeah. So I'm interested to see, quite frankly, what that extension would look like. I mean, are you going to give him a full max again with how high the cap has risen since his last one? Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, that's a big... I, I think he could probably get someone in free agency, I think, would pay him a max, whether it be a cap space team like... I don't know. I know the Sixers are trying to get ample cap space. This upcoming summer, they might be the only contender with ample cap space. But, or if not, like a sign-in trade for from almost anybody could do a sign-in trade as long as, you know, they're not hard caps, essentially. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah, you're right. I, I just feel like if an extension were to get done, I feel like it would have been. And yeah, I, I think Siakam stating the fact that, oh, I am not going to sign an extension with your team if you trade for me. I will only sign an extension with Toronto. I think he thinks, oh, if I sign an extension, I'm going to eventually get moved because of the years of my deal. And if he's really happy there, maybe that's why he hasn't. At least if he doesn't sign an extension now, he could control his next team if it's not going to be Toronto. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that plays a part in why he wanted to not sign that extension and why we haven't seen him sign an extension yet. Uh, so, wait, what's what's the other teams? Because Raptors fans to get done, I would say it's probably the most likely to get done also. Like, let's say Atlanta gets off to a slow start in the season. I could see that them feeling a little bit more pressure to get things done. Um, but what's the other team? I'm curious if you have any other oh. for Siakam. Because I haven't been able to think of anything that genuinely makes sense for the other team. But I'm, I'm curious to hear. So, I have the Brooklyn Nets on here for okay. both Siakam and OG. Just because they're in this situation now where they're not totally rebuilding. They don't even have their own picks because Houston has them. They have other teams' picks. So they have no incentive to really bottom out. They know Mikhail Bridges is a building block, but he's probably not the building block. Why not, you know, try to get a guy who compliments Bridges well that could maybe be the guy. Maybe Siaka, maybe I think Bridges is a better score than Ananobi, so maybe Ananobi would be the number two to Bridges as number one, the 1A, 1B situation. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the Nets are a team that, they've even been like considered a dark horse for Dame just because of how they were able to restock the cupboard of picks after trading KD and Tyree. Yeah. They're a big market, and they have no incentive to tank. They have tons of guys, mid-tier salaries to be salary filler. I think, I don't know. I, I just think so, that might so, be intriguing. So would the thing be like, I don't know, man. Like uh, you get Spencer Dinwiddie, you get uh, maybe whatever else to match the salary. Because think about it. Siakam and OG, that's like $50 million in salary right there. Well, I'm not saying both of them in the same trade. I'm saying more so one or the other. Oh, right. Okay, okay. I understand now. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it depends. It really depends on what you get back. I think, you know, speaking from Toronto's perspective, I to envision a trade that would make sense for the Raptors from the Nets side. They like Dinwiddie. They have, they have been Dinwiddie fans in the past, but I'm not sure if that's enough for them to say, okay, Dinwiddie and, I don't know, three or four first-round picks for Siakam um, is enough to move the needle for them, really. Uh, they would probably want some young prospects uh, in return. Like, are they going to move a Cam Thomas? Are they going to move uh, the guy they drafted this year, Derek Whitehead, right? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's the – I think the Raptors would want to prioritize got younger guys and picks versus just salary and picks, in my opinion. But. So, let's say it's Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Derek Whitehead. I guess we could throw Cam Thomas in there, and let's say, I don't know, a Phoenix pick, let's say 27 and a Dallas pick in 29. Those picks are far out, but far out picks are becoming more valuable because they're unprotected and they could become anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. look, that's an enticing trade. Uh, no doubt it's an enticing trade. I think you can stay somewhat competitive to the point where your pick will probably convert to the Spurs this year uh, and still maybe not be as high of a lottery pick. Um so I could see that happening. I, I you know, like it, it's possible. Uh, I'm not in love with that one as much. What as if I'm it was Ben with. Simmons instead of the salary? What if he was a salary? Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no way. Yeah. yeah. I'm a Sixers fan, so I'm on board with you. But <laughs> no, I just I think it's tough. I mean, we'll see what Simmons looks like this year, but I don't think there's I don't think anybody's touching him with the ten foot pool. You know. Yeah. Um, all right. What else you got? Is there is there another team? So. I have one team that I adore as a Siakam landing spot. But I have a few teams that I could see being dark horses for Siakam. I didn't put a trade package together, but we could, you know, theoretically come up with one for these teams. Work it out. Okay, cool. I think the Pelicans are another team that everyone's been talking about being a dark horse due to their young talents, mid-tier salaries to salary match, and the abundance of picks they have. The right. issue is, how would Siakam be alongside Zion? Siakam would probably have to play the five full-time. Yeah, yeah. So that that's my biggest issue with the Pelicans. I put Sacramento on here, and I put Memphis on here. I think Memphis, as we talked about, would be a bigger player for OG. Yep. I like, I like Sacramento and Memphis more. Um, I think Sacramento, from the perspective that, first of all, they don't have all their picks, so it's a little bit tougher, but they do have young guys, and young guys that the Raptors have interest in. I know for a fact that the Raptors love Davion Mitchell, um, and he's a guy they would love to have in their system. Obviously, Keegan Murray is a guy that they would love to have in their system. If you can, I mean, OG is a big get for them, and OG would, would simplify a lot of things for them defensively. Same with Pascal, but if there was a world where you can maybe package Davion, I'm not sure if the Kings would be willing to really include Keegan. Uh, but, yeah, if you could do, like, Davion plus, I don't know, Malik Monk or Kevin Herter or something like that. Some guys that would pair well with Scotty um, for OG or, or Pascal. I think that that can make sense. And then whatever picks that the, the Kings have available to them, I think that would make a ton of sense. Um, for, for Memphis, uh, it's probably a little bit more long-term of a play because their younger prospects still have a long way to go unless they're willing to include like Santi Aldama or David Roddy 
or like Zaire Williams, you know, like these are guys that still somewhat, there's a little bit of unprovenness to, to what they do, but they also gave up their two picks. So they don't have a lot of pick capital to be able to play around with it. Makes it tougher that way. And, and maybe like just kind of working through this with you, man, I, I, I might lean towards Siakam doesn't get traded until maybe a month or two into the season because teams will start to get a little bit more desperate if they're five and 15, you know, if they're six and six and 20 or something like that, and they're off to a bad start. Now it's like, okay, we have to figure out what we're going to do for this season. We're in win now mode. Um, What about Memphis with John Moran being suspended? I know they usually stay afloat without John in recent years and, Yep. Ty Jones isn't there anymore, so maybe I know that Marcus Smart now, and that might alleviate that issue. But let's say Memphis starts, I don't know, five and nine, and John Morant still has another six games on his suspension. Yeah, do they yeah. pull the trigger or something like that? Maybe. No, yeah, that's a good point. I could see that. That could that could be interesting. So I have one more dark horse team that I think Toronto needs to have a phone call with before I get to my favorite Siakam destination. Then we'll get to a few OG landing spots. Okay. I could see Orlando being involved in either Siakam, OG, or Gary Trent Jr. I think Orlando has the pieces with Franz Wagner looking like he's going to take a major leap, Mm -hmm. with Paolo looking like he's going to make a major leap, they need the shooting. They have Anthony Black, Jalen Suggs, and Marco Fultz with three good point guards, but none of them can shoot. Yep. Wendell Carter, same thing. It's not like he's a stretch five. They have the infrastructure, but they don't quite yet have either the star power or the shooting. So I could see Gary Trent Jr. They're making a run at him for the shooting. I could see them making a run for, again, any of those three. They have the pieces. They have the picks. And I think they're ready to... You know, kind of push some of those ships in. Yeah, from the Magic perspective, I think it makes a lot more sense to go for OG or Gary just because positionally, what are you going to do with a front court of Pascal, Franz, yeah. and Paolo? Uh, you know, you still need a five there. Like, Pascal has, has played five in spurts, but you really don't want him to be your main center. Um, and I think OG and OG and Gary make a lot of sense for that team. Uh, but it's, again, it's like, what are you willing to include into this package? Um the Raptors are fans of Caleb Houston. He's on that team. Maybe a prospect that they are higher on than most people. They obviously had interest in Jalen Suggs at the 2021 draft. Um, Markel Foltz would be an interesting player. You know, yeah, they, they have tons of prospects, and they obviously have their pick cachet still. So it would make sense for them to be an OG destination. Uh, and Gary Trent Jr. obviously wouldn't cost that much. Like, you're not going to have to spend too much to get a guy like Gary Trent Jr. You're not going to have to spend the pick cachet or... Or maybe a bunch of prospects to go out and get a Gary Trent. So I could see that. I actually kind of like Orlando as a Gary Trent Jr. destination. That's a that's a good spot. I wonder if Orlando would be willing to part with Jalen Suggs for Gary Trent Jr. I lean towards no because of the expiring deal. But if that was offered, hypothetically, I'm not saying it is, I would take that at Ronald Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, they 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 liked him. They liked him a lot at the draft they were very close to taking him so i could hear that i i think he would make a lot of sense next to their nucleus too of scotty and and whatnot so for sure so here's my favorite siakam destination that i've been trying to hype up all summer and get all the people on the train with me so i'm hoping i could get you aboard maybe i can make you the conductor of this train (laughs) okay pascal siakam 
to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh yeah, I love this deal, man. I okay. love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I'm with you. And as a big Thunder guy, because they are they're sort of my second team here going into next season, especially with just the Canadian talent of Shane Lou. Um man, he would be seamless next to those guys. I'm not sure what the trade package would be, but if you if you think of a starting lineup of Chet, of Pascal, of SGA, and then you know Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy. If you could pull that off without giving up Josh Giddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know what the, again, I don't know what the deal would be. I don't know, like, OKC has so many picks. and that so They don't have to give up Josh Giddy. They, they have so many have picks to. that they could yeah. keep all the young guys. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so here's, here's the trade I came up with. Okay. Pascal Siakam, Otto Porter Jr., and Malachi Flynn mm-hmm. for Davis Bertans, salary purposes, Lou Dort, right. Poku, mm-hmm. Trey Mann, right. and let's say three to four first-round picks, depending how good the picks are. Obviously, if the better picks, maybe it's three. If it's worth a little less picks, then maybe it's four. But something yeah. along those... I mean, yeah. they have the Clippers picks. They have Houston picks. They have a Sixers pick. They have picks from almost any pick you'll poison. OKC is going to have a pick from that team. Yeah, I hear you. I, look, I mean, it's not a sexy deal for Toronto because you can't sell yourself. You can't sell the fan base on, hey, we just traded the franchise player for a bunch of nothing and first round picks that you won't see until five years from now. Um, it's hard to sell to Raptors fans, but I think value wise, it's it's tremendous value coming back. I wonder if Toronto would want to get one of J-Dub or Giddy involved in that deal. I would imagine they'd have a better shot at Giddy than J-Dub. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think they would be interested in that. Giddy is also another guy the Raptors were high on going into the draft. They very heavily considered Josh Giddy. Um, they obviously went with Scotty, but like that was another guy they were looking for. And I could see that happening. Uh, I could see Giddy being maybe that piece that you include. And like, low-key, OKC is also a good spot for OG. Um, yeah, because they can pay him, right? They they can they can absolutely pay him. They can probably give him a more extensive role offensively too. Um, and yeah, I, I'd be interested in that to be honest with you. I don't know what the deal would be again there, but yeah. But this is why you probably trade Siakaman and Obi at last year's deadline. Not saying an OKC deal would have been there, but yeah. I don't see OKC wanting to give up a Josh Giddy for a guy who's expiring. That's okay. the that's the biggest issue now. But with OKC, I know we just talked about, okay, you could get those picks from the Nets way out, Phoenix in 27, and Dallas in 29. OKC, you could probably get a 24, a 25, a 27, and a 29. You could kind of spread those out. Uh, you know, do whatever you want. You could take a shot on the later picks. Yeah, you. Here's some now. No, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I, think, I think that's a great destination for Pascal, honestly. And uh, the other side of this is I just don't think OKC is is trying to do that. I don't think OKC is in a position where they want to go after a player, although they're so loaded with future picks and whatnot that they can take this risk and still not really be hurt in the process of doing it. So, I mean, I hear you. I, I think it would be great, but I just don't think OKC moves like that. I don't think they, they like to be that team that likes to cash in just to try things. They're more so, let's take the slow and uh, methodical approach. 
OKC has seven first round picks just in 24 and 25 alone. Yeah. Like, they, 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 they have, you have I to. They, I get what you're saying. I agree that they're not the type of team to make a move like this. Yeah, I hear you. But I think they might have to at some points. Okay. Well, you know what? They're not the type of team to do it like this until they are the type of team to do it like this. They're yeah. going to surprise everybody at some point, whether it be with a Giannis, whether it be an Embiid, a Luka, whoever, um, and go after one of those guys. Because let's be real. If Milwaukee next year says, hey, we're looking to trade Giannis Antetokounmpo, who do you think is going to be first in line? It Same is the thing. Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, because, hey, we're, we'll give you Jalen Williams. We'll give you Josh Giddy. Uh, we'll give you Lou Dort. We'll give you twenty-five picks. Enjoy, and 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 Milwaukee. How is Milwaukee gonna say no to that? You know what I mean? Like I, I, you can't, you can't say no to that. So, which let's shift gears to OG here. The first team I want to talk about now that you mentioned OKC being able to literally give twenty-five picks for Giannis. What about for OG, especially the Knicks? The Knicks always have in the past set themselves up for the next big star to ask out, and it always, you know, doesn't prevail, essentially. Every team could trade up to, if you have all your picks, four first, three swaps. The Knicks alone, I think, have eight tradable first-round picks, not including those swaps. I think they could trade up to seven first and three swaps, something like that. I'm obviously not saying that's a package for OG. I'm just saying... The Knicks are a team that I think are ready to push their chips in. And from my recollection, the Knicks called about OG last year. You probably know better than I do, but they're not shy to that front office, especially since it's been revamped, is not afraid to take a swing for someone like that. So my thing with New York and pretty much any big market for any of these guys right now is that they're probably holding their chips and waiting for Giannis and Embiid. And I wonder if they're not as willing to give up assets for a Pascal, for an OG, whoever, because everybody is waiting for Giannis, for Embiid, for whoever to come up next. Uh, I think that's just like the reality of the NBA right now, especially for bigger market teams. They're not going to be willing to spend as much because they know, hey, next year, this time, maybe Giannis is available and maybe... Giannis wants to come play in New York, or maybe Giannis is is open to playing in New York. And now you have a situation where, what are we going to do? The the other side of that is, if you acquire an OG who's a younger player, he can also be part of the package that you move to get Giannis. Um, so there's there's two different thought paths if you were here, but yeah, we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. I think I'm New thinking York is an interesting destination. something. I understand you're saying you're probably right in terms of the next one. You know wait for, like, the big fish or the big domino to fall. I'm saying, like, let's say Evan Fournier is expiring, plus Emmanuel quickly quitting Grimes and two first-round picks for OG and an OB. I, I think that's appealing. Yeah, yeah man. That, that In terms of strictly a trade package, not saying yeah. it'll be offered, but... Yeah, I, I think, I think yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're the Raptors, you have to listen to that because... Quickly is a guy, yeah, he he wants some money right now, but he's a guy that could work in the Raptors system. Same with Grimes. I think he he fits their ethos very well. Uh, so, yeah, I would absolutely. Uh, I think that's a trade the Raptors would do in a heartbeat, to be honest with you. But I don't know if the Knicks are willing to do that right now. What about Indiana? Obviously, OG went to college at the University of Indiana, so he has ties there. The Pacers, I believe, they're another team that called about OG, at least 
for speculation last year at the deadline. No, Buddy Heald is asked out. That's your Sally forward right there, an expiring deal. Mm-hmm. They could probably flip Buddy Heald for a first to someone for or something, some type yeah. of assets. Maybe it's a three-teamer, yeah. but Indiana has a salary yeah. matching. If they're willing to consolidate a pick or two, I, I think that's another solid landing spot for OG. I think Indiana makes probably the most sense as an OG landing destination because they also have prospects that they can add to it. I know for a fact that the Raptors are in love with Andrew Nembhard. Like, that's the guy they would want in any type of OG deal. Over picks, over, you know, future picks, et cetera, et cetera. They would want Andrew Nembhard. And he would most likely be their starting point guard, like, as soon as tomorrow if he were to get traded. So, yeah, I think, look, if it is a deal, it would be OG, you know, maybe Buddy Heald, Andrew Nembhard, maybe no picks coming back. But, like, that's the type of thing you're looking at uh, if you're the Pacers. And... If you're Indiana, you're looking at Halliburton, you're ticking at, you're looking at Matherin, you're looking at OG uh Walker once he develops and and Miles Turner and that's like that's a very good playoff, you know, that's a very very good playoff team, especially a defensive minded playoff team that matches Halliburton's style really well. If they're looking to commit to a guy in OG, uh especially who's a unrestricted free agent in the summer, he's a guy I feel like they should be confident that they can re-sign especially because of the Indiana ties. So yeah, makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest with you. So the last few teams I have, we talked about Memphis a little bit with OG. Yeah. Same thing as Indiana. They have some appealing young guys. I mean, in terms of David Roddy, Zaya Williams, Jake LaRavia, Santi Aldama, on top of potential salary filler, on top of... I mean, they had all their own picks plus their own state pick. I know they gave a two for Marcus Smart, but they're still pretty deep with their picks. So I think Memphis, you said Indiana's your favorite. I think Indiana's my second favorite behind Memphis. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think Memphis is in more of a position to try and win now. Uh, so they might be a little bit more aggressive in going after a guy like OG. But I just think from the Raptors' perspective, they like the Pacers' prospects more, uh, especially Nembard. Like, that's a guy that, that the Raptors are incredibly high on, um, and I think they would want to have. He's also Canadian, so that's that's a plus. But, like, yeah, that's that's – I think prospects-wise, they would probably prefer Indiana. Picks-wise, they probably prefer Memphis. And again, I really – I would be pretty shocked. I know we're talking through them right now. I'd be pretty shocked if OG gets traded. I think, if anything, Pascal's the domino to fall, and then OG gets extended, and the next era is Scotty OG plus whatever they end up acquiring for Pascal. Like, that's the new iteration of this team moving forward. But, yeah. Okay, the last two teams I have for OG, the Pelicans we talked about a little bit for Siakam. Mm-hmm. I don't know, the Pelicans already have so many young wings out there. Like, they're not going to include Trey Murphy in a deal. If they did, I'm sure Toronto would be beside themselves yeah. for a guy Absolutely. like Trey Murphy. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking a team that's ready to compete, that has young assets and picks, the Pelicans are one of the first teams that come to mind. Yeah, I agree. I man, the, the team that comes to mind for OG a lot is Sacramento. Um, just because he would complete them a lot defensively, uh, especially if they somehow get away with not giving up Davion Mitchell in any type of trade. But, like, he's around the same age as Fox and Sabonis. Sabonis is a little bit older than both those guys. But having those guys, man, that would be an incredible trio to kind of build around if you're in Sacramento. And, like, yeah, it's probably going to cost you Keegan Murray. 
to to get a guy like that or or it's going to cost you multiple picks but i i would love og sacramento destination that would make a lot of sense to me and yeah the pelicans well as like maybe maybe the raptors are high on dyson daniels maybe like they like dyson uh, maybe the Raptors are high on Herb Jones. I'm not sure. Maybe they're high on Jose Alvarado. I don't know. But like, yeah, there's tons of prospects on the Pelicans as well. And they probably feel pressure, right? The Pelicans probably feel pressure to start competing soon uh, and competing in a real way. And obviously that depends on Zion's health and Brandon Ingram's health. But being able to bring in a guy like Siakam or OG, it's going to do a lot for their for their overall ceiling. The last team I have, I did have Sacramento here with a question mark. So... Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of figured we touched on him with Sia or them with Siakam. But the Dark Horse, which I don't know how they make it work, they would probably need a third team because I don't know if they have like the young assets Toronto would want. Right. Milwaukee desperately needs a guy like OG to try to appease Giannis to, hey, we have a guy around your age that is a legitimate number two, number three guy that, I mean, Middleton and Holiday are both, what, 33 years old now? If there was a way to, yeah. I don't know, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Marjan Bochamp, and a first, and then somehow get a first from another team, it's not the best package we talked about, but if I'm Milwaukee, I'm bending over backwards trying to find a way to get OG and Anobi. Yeah, I, I mean, fit-wise, it makes tons of sense. From the Raptors' perspective, I don't think that's the most enticing option. I agree. So they'd, they'd probably say no. Okay. So, I put together, I attempted to put together, win pro- not win projections, minute projections for each team. Okay. So, I'm trying to project Toronto's rotation, and I saw you actually tweeted it, I believe, earlier today. It was your predictions for this year, like award winners. Yeah. You had Schroeder as sixth man of the year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, who do you I think mean, those predictions or whatever? I do think Schroeder. Yeah, I think Schroeder comes off the bench. Okay, um, so who's your starting think- five then? So it'd be Scotty, Gary, OG, Pascal, Jakob. Okay, initially. so so you think basically positionless basketball? Scotty's a ball handler. Yeah, pretty much. Scotty and Pascal are going to be your main ball handlers, and then you kind of go from there and see what happens. I just think. Uh, you need to have Gary and OG on the floor almost at all times and then interchanging guys like Grady and Otto Porter Jr. in order to provide some sort of spacing because, um, yeah, with with if you put Schroeder there instead of Gary Trent Jr. and now you have Schroeder, OG, uh, Scotty, Pascal, Jakob, things will get tight very quickly. The spacing will become congested very quickly. Pascal will not have room to operate. Scotty will not have room to operate, even as is, by having it as Scotty, Gary, OG, Pascal, and yeah, still not going to have tons of spacing. So I think that's a major issue going into this season for the Raptors in general, just how are they going to manufacture space for their guys. Um and if you bring Schroeder into the mix in the starting lineup, it just becomes even more complicated. I also think just like having a guy like that off your bench is going to help some of your younger guys thrive a little bit more. It's going to set up the table for Grady, set up the table for uh, for Precious Achua, um, for Coloco. You know, it just makes things a lot easier for, for those type of guys. So I projected this with Schroeder starting at point guard. Just yeah. to throw out a more traditional starting lineup with a true, well, not a true point guard, but a point guard there. I do have Schroeder and Gary Trent Jr. playing the same amount of minutes, though. 
So I have Schroeder, 29 minutes, OG, 34, Scotty Barnes, 35, Pascal, 36, total 28. I have Gary Trent, as I said, same minutes as Schroeder at 29 as a six man. Grady Dick playing about 24 minutes. One of either Chris Boucher or Precious Achua. It probably depends on the matchup at 15 minutes. And Jalen McDaniels at 10 minutes. And that's my rotation. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, like, you can you can argue minutes here and there. But, yeah, for the most part, that seems like the right rotation to me. And, again, uh, guys are going to get hurt, obviously. So Yeah, of course. Of change. course. I also think, like, man, just hearing that, this team is so desperate to get some guards, like just any type of guard play, because you you listed so many front court players and front court players that have wary spacing and shooting problems. Like, pra- pra- Pascal isn't the greatest shooter. He's like a 35, 36% shooter on catch and shoots. Um, Scotty is not there yet. Jakob is a non-shooter. Precious is very, very sporadic in terms of shooting. Chris Boucher is a good shooter, but then you have Jalen McDaniels, who's still trying to develop. Otto Porter Jr., who's a shooter, but still, Thaddeus Young, not a shooter. So, like, spacing is going to be a huge issue again this season, and I, I have, I really am curious to see how Darko Ryakovich is able to somehow manufacture some kind of space because it's going to be tight, man. So, Toronto is sort of reminding this year's Toronto squad that we're talking about now after eating my rotation sort of resembles a more talented version of what the Wizards have been around Bradley Beal the last few years in terms <laughs> of limited guard. And again, I think Toronto has better ownership and is a much smarter organization. And again, I know they just underwent a whole front office change that just blew it up. Right. But Toronto has Masai Ujiri, who I think is one of the best in the league. So I don't think Toronto will let themselves get to that point of just being Washington 2.0. All but I did say they were more talented. But I'm saying in terms of not having enough spacing, having a whole, you know, clutter of forwards. Beal was really the only guard there. They never really had a true point guard. That's what it's starting to resemble for me. And again, I don't think Toronto, I don't think the is going to let it get to that point at all. Mm-hmm. But... Well, That's I mean, what look, it looks like present day. They're reaching a point where, like you mentioned them with Chicago and maybe even Brooklyn and et cetera. It's like they are spinning the wheels on mediocrity right now. Um, you know, and that's a very dangerous spot to be in in the NBA because you're not bad enough to get high quality lottery talent and you're not good enough to win every year or even be a feisty playoff team. And you're sort of stuck in the middle. And I think a lot of Raptors fans are begging for this team to make make a choice, pick a direction. Uh, you look at Washington. I actually just wrote my Washington Wizards preview. The reason Wizards fans are so happy right now is not just because they're entering a rebuild. It's because they find something new to look forward to. And that's a process that you know we as media members sort of forget at times. Fans can get tired very, very quickly of the same thing every single season. You need to give them some sort of variance. That's why coaches get fired. That's why GMs and front office people get fired. That's why, hey, star players get traded or, or role players get traded because you need that little bit of a change up. And the Raptors for the last three or four seasons have not had much of a change up or at least a change up that was intended to be a change up. Um, you know, losing Fred VanVleet is obviously a huge change, but not one that they wanted to do. So uh, they, they're in a position where they need to to figure things out, man. 
it's a very, very weird spot for Raptors fans moving forward, especially this season. And who knows, man, hopefully, hopefully we get a, a better sense of their direction as media day and camp start. So I have two final questions before I let you go. The first one is, we talked about this a little bit pre-show. Okay. Toronto's win total is 36 and a half in Vegas this year. Over or under? Mm-hmm. And again, if that probably depends Siakam what direction they go. For the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, if they keep Siakam, if they keep OG, and they just stick this team out the entire year, which would be a mistake, I would say they go over that. I think they probably win about 40 games. If they keep this in if they shake things up if they trade pascal if they trade pascal and og or maybe og if they trade gary etc etc then i could absolutely see them being under i could see them maybe being one of the worst teams in the eastern conference uh and that's how big of an impact pascal siakam has i mean look two-time all nba player that's that's the type of player you're trading so he's gonna have a massive impact on your team with or without him so you sort of alluded to my last question when you just said it's a possibility they could be one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah. That pick is top six protected. Obviously, a lottery lock yeah. comes into play, of course. We saw when Zion and Jalen wanted to, the Pelicans and Grizzlies both have pretty decent lottery lock. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you what the odds are because I know there's literally a mathematical equation of what it would be. And Toronto, we talked about maybe a team starts 5-15 and 15, they get desperate trade for Siakam or OG. Right. Is there a scenario where if Toronto doesn't wait till the deadline, they make an aggressive move to trade a Siakam-type guy early enough in the year? Can they get to that bottom six range to keep their pick? Yes, but I think that would be a mistake. Uh, because I because that pick is not only top six protected this year. It's next it year in twenty six. Exactly. If it doesn't convert this year, they keep it in twenty twenty five. If it doesn't convert in twenty twenty five, they keep it in twenty twenty six, and then it becomes a second round pick. So I would rather it convert in this draft than the Cooper Flag draft or the Coa Pete draft or any of the other drafts that are coming. Of course. Uh. And the reason I, I, I the reason I say that is just simple. It's like you, this has obviously been touted as a weaker draft. I'm not saying it is a weak draft. It could potentially be a surprise draft. I feel like we use that whole weak draft thing very quickly, and and like it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But at the same time, you would rather it convert this year than have it be held over your head for three seasons in a row. Um, so yeah, I think for the Raptors' sake, they should hope that they can, even if they trade Pascal to field a decent enough team to the point where it converts and it doesn't hurt you as much as it would. It's a fine line to, to, you know, thread a fine needle to thread, but they have to. So I'm just looking at it real quick. And I know we're kind of off top now in Toronto. The only, I'd say, I see three teams that are definitely worse than Toronto in the event Toronto, you know, trades Siaka, maybe trades OG, trades Trent's. Again, this is like the doomsday scenario of them just, maybe not doomsday, because at least, again, at least they would have picked a direction. But if everything goes wrong in terms of lock, losing games by one or two points, ball not, the Kawhi shot not going in, something like that, where, sure, they trade Siakam and a few balls bounce the other way, they lose a few games that they shouldn't have. I say Washington, San Antonio, and I'm assuming Dame gets traded, so I'll say Portland, are the three definitive teams that are probably the last tier teams in the NBA this year. Yeah, yeah probably. Other than I, that, I'm excited about Detroit. 
I just talked about my love for Orlando. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on Charlotte, but I do see an avenue where Charlotte could have a better year than Toronto. So, yeah, I agree that it probably would be a mistake. Because, again, you have Cooper Flag, you have Cam Boozer. There's so many of the prospects coming up that if you're rebuilding, you'd want to get in on. You don't want to be Washington where you're rebuilding after the Wemby draft. They, they picked a direction, but they exactly. picked a direction exactly. after Wemby was drafted. So... Yeah, and now and and realistically, Washington is entering a very long rebuild. They are not going to be coming out of this anytime soon. It's okay, that's fine. It's better than being what they were before, but most likely this thing is going to take a while. Uh, and if Toronto doesn't position themselves correctly, it could take a while for that rebuild to start. I'm actually watching a <laughs> a show called The Foundation, right? And it's about them trying to predict the downfall of humanity okay okay and this guy has predicted that at this date at this time the world and the entire galaxy is going to cease to exist and it will cease to exist for a thousand years or ten thousand years okay but we can actually shorten that amount where it ceases to exist if we do these certain things right now and in a lot of ways the Raptors are sort of in a similar situation where if they don't act properly in the next couple of seasons, when it comes to Siakam, when it comes to OG, when it comes to building around Scotty, they could prolong that period of darkness, that rebuild, if they don't do things correctly. Uh, and man, maybe I'm just going to write about that. I think I just gave myself an idea to write about something. But yes, that that would be the 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 crux of it all when it so comes the to gist, how long it's going to take for these Raptors to get back. Yeah. The gist of this entire podcast, we just spend about an hour talking about hypothetical trades for the conclusion for listeners that if the Raptors don't rebuild, the world is going to end. That's what you're saying. Yes, that is. Okay, there we go. There we go. That, I think that's that should be a good final final part of this, bro. <laughs> Okay, so with that said, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. You guys could follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. You can follow my personal Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. There's a second L in the NBA goal at the end. It's supplying on my last name. As anything you want to promote? Uh yeah, man. Look, I'm doing I'm doing my season previews on SDPN's YouTube channel. That is SDPN. Uh, you can go and check them out. Literally, season previews for every single team in the league. Uh, we obviously have tons of NBA content coming out there as well. You can follow me at Just S. Barahini on Twitter. And thank you, man. Appreciate you, Stephen. Always, it's it's always a pleasure, man. Of course. And everyone, obviously, rate, review, all that good stuff on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. I actually started a second podcast. It's a college hoops, college basketball podcast with my buddy John Simpson. He's my co-host. We have a whole bunch of content coming out. We're going to be interviewing a whole bunch of high-end Division One players. So if that's your thing, go check that out. That's called the One and Done Podcast. And you can find that whoever listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you guys next episode.